You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunkin' with Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the fan-sided network. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Happy Sunday. Happy weekend, everybody. This is the post-game podcast from the Timberwolves' victory over the Utah Jazz on Saturday night. The Wolves are now 2-0 against the Jazz, 2-0 at Vivint Arena in Salt Lake City this season, and they've won the season series against the NBA's best team. So a a great weekend for the Timberwolves. Can't ask for anything more. So today's show, we're going to break down the game. We're going to look at uh, the, the game flow, what happened, especially down the stretch. The Wolves played extremely well in the final couple minutes of this game. So I want to talk about what happened there and and just really what happened overall in this game, because it didn't start out well for the Timberwolves, but it finished, well, really, the final three quarters were all great for Minnesota. So I want to talk about all that. We'll get into key takeaways like we always do. Chris Finch made a couple of big adjustments down the stretch of this game, and I want to dive into that, especially on the heels of last Wednesday's loss to the Kings. And and I I basically I did say Luke Walton out coached Chris Finch down the stretch of of their loss to the Kings on Wednesday, but in this game, um, I mean Finch went toe to toe with one of the league's best coaches in Quinn Snyder and one of the league's best teams in the Jazz, and Finch made the proper adjustments down the stretch, the players executed extremely well and the Timberwolves held on. So I want to talk about those adjustments and then some of the other key takeaways. And then we'll finish by doing individual studs and duds as we always do from this game. We'll talk about which players had the best and worst individual performances for the Timberwolves. Okay, before all that, though, a quick reminder, as always, that you can follow this podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts. That, of course, includes Apple as well as Google, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. You can also follow on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves and at B-Beacon. That's B-Beacon, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Okay, so game flow in this one. If you've watched any Timberwolves basketball, really all season, but especially lately, you know that the Timberwolves have had terrible first quarters. And I talked about this a little bit, probably about a week ago. I think I spent a segment breaking this down. And it's really hard to put a finger on exactly how that's happening. Um, the The easiest answer is, for the most part, the Wolves come into games taking other teams lightly, they, which, of course, makes no sense because the Timberwolves, up until about a week ago, had the league's worst record basically all season. Um, but I guess the argument can be made, you know, especially coming off of wins, the Timberwolves come out like against Sacramento last week. Before that, uh, who did they beat? They beat uh, Miami and the game immediately following that. I can't remember who they played, but they come out flat. It's like, oh, okay, we can roll the ball out and be competitive because we have Dilo, we have Cat, we're relatively healthy. We just won a game and they don't have any sense of intensity. And typically the offense is okay in the first quarter, but it's more just defensive intensity. It's rebounding. It's defending without fouling, all those things. And that happened again in this one. Of course, taking the Jazz lightly doesn't make any sense. They have the league's best record. Uh, granted, Donovan Mitchell wasn't playing, and I should I should be very clear. The Timberwolves did not beat a full-strength Utah Jazz team. Still, it's a very good team. And the Timberwolves were bad in the first quarter. I mean, the offense wasn't awful, 
Um, it, it was a little discombobulated. They ended up scoring 26 points in the quarter, but it didn't really seem to have much flow to it. The bigger issue was defensively. They gave up 40 points and there were all kinds of stats floating around about how many times they've done that this season. And, um, I, you know, I didn't really see any that shocked me. Um, basically the, I think I, I don't think there's any question the Wolves have done that more than any team this season. They gave up a ton of wide open threes to the Jazz. Of course, the Jazz are the league's number one team in terms of both made and attempted threes per game and number three in three-point percentage league-wide. So if you're going to give up open threes to a team, it shouldn't be the Utah Jazz. Uh, And some of it was just, you know, the, the Jazz are a good offensive team, right? So they were getting guys open because they know what they're doing, but the Timberwolves weren't even really contesting shots. Like Boyan Bogdanovich had had uh, twelve points, or no, sorry, thirteen points in the first quarter. Three made threes, and the Wolves like were they were you know when he got the ball, they weren't even really getting a hand up. Um, Royce O'Neal hit a couple of deep threes. It, it was just really, really poor defensive execution by the Timberwolves, and, and again, it goes back to effort. In many instances, it was just poor effort by the Wolves. Um, so they they gave up 40 in the quarter. They were down 14. This thing seemed like it could certainly get away from them very quickly. But the Timberwolves' second unit was fantastic. And remember, that includes D'Angelo Russell. He's part of the second unit now, and he was a big part of what the Wolves did in the first half of this game. The Wolves didn't give up a bucket in the first three minutes of the second quarter. The problem was they only scored three points themselves. So it was still, um, or excuse me, four points themselves. So it was still a a 10-point game at that point. But then the Wolves actually continued to compete defensively. The Jazz only made a single three-pointer in the third quarter, and that was at the 7.23 mark. They didn't make a three over the final seven-plus minutes of the second quarter. And the Wolves, or excuse me, that was at the 651 mark. They actually hit two threes, kind of in two consecutive possessions. But after that, they didn't hit another three in the second quarter. So there were two, none in the final six and a half plus minutes. And the Wolves offense started to click. Towns came back in the game after a relatively quiet first quarter. Towns was good in the second. And uh, Dilo was very good. And Anthony Edwards made a little bit of noise. And the Wolves won the quarter 26 to 18 and closed fairly strong as well. They actually scored the final bucket of the of the quarter, and then the Jazz missed on two attempts, um, a Conley layup attempt, a Gobert tip attempt at the final possession of the second quarter, which was very weird to see the Wolves not give up the last possession of a quarter. And Minnesota was back within six at halftime. So this, this became a game very quickly. And then the third quarter was really very similar to the second. In fact, the Wolves, after being a plus eight in the second quarter, they won the third quarter by by 14 points. They held the Jazz to 16 in the third quarter. And this was mostly credit to the Timberwolves. This wasn't actually that bad of, I mean, I mean, Jazz fans may feel differently, but the Jazz were mostly executing. The Timberwolves were actually just making things really difficult. They got a bunch of steals in this game. They had a bunch of uh, deflected passes. They were getting into passing lanes. Um, the Jazz committed 20 turnovers, which is uncharacteristic, and the Wolves had 13 steals for the game. The third quarter was probably the most ex- impressive display of any chunk of this game for Minnesota. And offensively, they did enough. I mean, they scored 30 in the third quarter, so it was their best offensive quarter of the game. Well, the second quarter mostly belonged to Delo. Delo had 17 points on 6 of 10 shooting by halftime. Edwards had 10 at, at the half. Um, and... Then the third quarter, I guess, was a little bit more balanced. There was there was quite a bit of D'Lo. Anthony Edwards was fantastic in the middle stages of this game. Um, he had a, a couple of consecutive three-pointers in the third that were just, uh, you know, just completely in rhythm. 
and looked really comfortable, balanced. Um, everything about what Edwards did in the middle portion of this game was really impressive. And by the way, coming off the heels of a couple of strong games against Sacramento last week as well, Edwards is genuinely starting to look like a more complete player. There were some defensive issues early in the game. We'll get to this later, actually, in, in key takeaways. But Edwards defensively down the stretch of this game was was very impressive. Um, so the Wolves finished the quarter strong again, and we're able to to take a six point lead, excuse me, eight point lead going to the fourth quarter, which was um, shocking is maybe a strong word, but not expected. And of course, Wolves fans were waiting for the other shoe to drop throughout the fourth quarter. But the Timberwolves executed extremely well. Um, they led by as many as nine, um, or actually they got up by 11 with at the 706 mark. Minnesota's up 11 with 706 left. But then the Jazz go on a run, which was primarily Brian Bogdanovich, hit a couple of threes, um, I think three threes actually. And the Jazz took a one point lead. The Jazz go up 93 92, 341 left. And at this point, it seems obvious, you know, Utah is going to pull this one out. The Timberwolves aren't, can't do anything. In fact, Minnesota went scoreless from the 706 to the 231 mark in the fourth quarter. That's more than four and a half minutes without the Wolves scoring against one of the league's best offensive teams in the Jazz. And sure enough, they go down by one and it feels like everything is it's just over. But then the Wolves made a couple of adjustments, which I'm going to I'm going to really dig into in key takeaways. But the Wolves offense was completely stagnant. It was ineffective. So uh, Chris Finch made a couple of subs. He brings back in D'Angelo Russell. He brings back in Josh Akogi to try and maintain some of that defensive intensity. And offensively, the Wolves just kind of switched what they were doing. They were putting the ball. They started putting the ball in D'Lo's hands um, each possession. And it led to a Carl Anthony Towns kind of a tough one-handed runner um, at the two and a half minute mark that put the Wolves back on top to stay. And then after the Wolves forced Rudy Gobert into a a tough traveling call, um, Minnesota came back down, turned it over. The Jazz missed on the other end. And then D'Lo got the ball in ball screen action with Josh Akogi said in a screen. Um, The Timberwolves flattened out, basically got D'Lo in isolation and he he got the switch. Bogdanovich was guarding him. He crossed him over, hit a jumper from about a foot beyond the free throw line, put the Wolves up by three. And after the Jazz Mike Conley actually missed two threes on the other end. The Wolves got the rebound um, and ended up getting to the free throw line and basically sealing the game there. Um, Or I should mention Anthony Edwards actually had a huge steal um, at the 25 second mark. This was the Jazz have the ball down three. And after a D-low turnover, Edwards just jumps a passing lane. And he's been doing that more and more recently jumped a passing lane, got the seal. The wolves get the possession towns ultimately gets fouled, makes a free throw. The wolves go up four. there was a little bit of uh, tension there at the end because Jordan Clarkson made a three with eight seconds left to pull them back to within three points. But then Josh Akogi made a pair of free throws and the wolves ended up winning by five. Um, it was more than just holding on down the stretch. The Wolves actually executed offensively enough. I mean, there were a couple of sloppy possessions mixed in there, but the Jazz were equally as sloppy. And thankfully, the Wolves were able to execute on those other possessions, right? They didn't have too many missed shots. Um, they were they were getting good looks and they were making them down the stretch and executing just like they did in game two of the season when the Wolves beat the Jazz way back in late December. Um, so key takeaways, I want to dive into those offensive adjustments. What Minnesota did differently in the final two, two and a half minutes of this game to score a couple of buckets, the Towns runner and the, and the D'Lo jumper to put the Wolves up, you know, going from down one to up three, because of those possessions and what Chris Finch wanted to do offensively. I want to talk about the defense as well, uh, because that was a huge part of this game. Holding the Jazz to 96 points was uh, massively impressive. So um, that'll be what we focus on here in Key Takeaways. Before we get to that, though, let's talk about our friends at Indeed. 
You're the hiring expert for your company, and what you really need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed at dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that, on average, reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests and add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applicants that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. That's a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Let's also talk about our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar of all time. No joke. Tastes exactly like a candy bar. If you're a regular listener, you've heard me talk about this now for well over a year, and I am somehow a bigger fan of Built Bar now than I was then. Um, I just placed another order this week. It's become basically a weekly thing for me. Um, There's 18 amazing flavors and coconut brownie chunk is back. And I cannot wait to get that in the mail here in in a a week or so. Also, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, all delicious. Mint brownie. um, Every single one is delicious and they're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. If you're health conscious, they are perfect. If you're trying to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious treat, then you can't you can't not get built bars. Um, every single one is also low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high in fiber. They're perfect for the keto diet. You can go to builtbar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15, just like I did this week. You'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off at builtbar.com. Okay, the NFL Draft is upcoming uh, later this week, actually, and this year the Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with the Draft Network to cover the NFL Draft live. Get insight and analysis from Locked On local experts and the Draft Network's national experts. Subscribe to the Locked On NFL YouTube page to watch live three-day coverage of the NFL Draft April 29th to May 1st. Okay, uh, let's get into key takeaways for this game, and there's several. Um, Number one, let's talk about the defensive effort by the Timberwolves. After the first quarter, when they gave up 40, the Wolves held an offense that has been top five all season. Right now, uh, they're fourth in offensive rating league-wide. They're the number one team in terms of made three-pointers per game. Granted, without Donovan Mitchell, but the Wolves held this team to 75 points over the final three quarters. They outscored them 75 to 56 after giving up 40 in the first quarter. Another way to look at this, they gave up 40 in the first. They didn't give up more than 22 points in a single quarter the rest of the game. In fact, you could combine the second and fourth quarter, and that's how many points they gave up in the first quarter. So credit the Timberwolves for dialing the defensive intensity up from like a two to a 10, basically, in this game. I mean, it was like the Wolves weren't interested in defending at all in the first quarter. They weren't Xing out to, to contest shots. They weren't closing out with any sense of purpose or control and they were allowing blow buys the drive and kick game that the jazz loved to play was was extremely dynamic Bogdanovich Royce O'Neal those guys were just consistently open and knocking down threes and uh the timber and Jordan Clarkson as well Mike Conley had a good game but the Timberwolves after the first quarter really locked down O'Neal didn't hit another three the rest of the game Clarkson ended up 
having actually a pretty poor game overall. And Mike Conley after the first quarter wasn't all that effective either. I mean, he was probably the Jazz, you know, outside of Bogdanovich, their their best player in this game because Gobert was fairly quiet and actually didn't do a whole lot defensively to impact the game in this one. But as far as the Wolves defense, they were scrambling. Josh Okoge, Jade McDaniels especially, they're the, two, the Wolves' two best on-ball defenders, and they were phenomenal in this game. Anthony Edwards was miserable early defensively. There was one possession where he just, it was in the first quarter, he was completely lost. He was guarding, whoever he was guarding, passed the ball, and then Edwards just decided he would hang out in the paint and kind of like pseudo-shadow Towns and Gobert. Towns actually physically pushed Edwards back to the perimeter, but it was too late and Rubio had to pick up Edwards guy. I think it was, uh, I think it was Jordan Clarkson and Clarkson was already, you know, was already blowing by them by the time Edwards got back into position and he scored in the paint. And that wasn't the only time that happened. It's like Edwards just decides I'm going to play free safety and try and pick off a pass and get a, get a steal. And it, it wasn't, working, not surprisingly. But then later in the game, he was much better defensively and he did get a huge steal by jumping a passing lane and he was in position. He wasn't gambling to get the steal. Uh, But early in this game, the Wolves defense was miserable. Edwards was a big part of that. As the game went on, Towns was great defensively. The Wolves were playing drop coverage against the Jazz, which was extremely dangerous and and didn't work, of course, in the first quarter. But Towns was, was is finally starting to get the concept of being in the right spot at the right time, not overplaying the ball handler or the roller and somehow basically playing two in, which is the whole point of drop coverage, right? Is that you're supposed to be able to be in position to guard both the the ball handler and the roller and be in the paint to help protect against cutters, et cetera. And Towns basically, he did very good with that in this game. And, uh, and, you know, Nas Breed struggled a little bit when he was on the court defensively, but Jared Vanderbilt provided some en- energy was solid defensively. Juancho Hernan Gomez wasn't I mean, he was fine, um, and typically he's a clear minus on the defensive end of the floor. But really, McDaniels and Akogi and Towns were the most impressive for me in this one, and, and it was more just effort than anything else. The Wolves finally decided that they would start contesting shots with urgency and staying under control. They rebounded the ball. They were a minus eight midway through the second quarter on the glass. They ended up winning the rebounding battle against the Utah Jazz by two. I mean, the Jazz are one of the league's best rebounding teams. They're second in rebounds per game. They're eighth in defensive rebound percentage. They're fifth in offensive rebounding percentage, um, second in uh, in defensive rebounds per game and total rebounds per game. And the Wolves won the rebounding battle. And it wasn't because they played a huge lineup the whole game. They had stretches where they had Towns at the five, Nas at the four, and um, they actually had Wancho at the three for a while. And that it, that's not why they won this game. That's not, or that's not why they won the rebounding battle. It was actually just doing a decent job on Rudy Gobert. And everybody else was, was crashing the glass, really. I mean, Vanderbilt had seven rebounds in 13 minutes. Anthony Edwards had nine rebounds in 36 minutes, which is a great rebounding night for him. Towns led the way with 12, but it's because the Wolves really rebounded five in this game. Um, I mean, for the most part, they were just aggressive on the glass, and that's not something you can typically say about the Timberwolves. Usually it's just kind of a lackadaisical, play in no man's land, kind of Andrew Wiggins-esque approach to rebounding, which is, um, hey, I'm not going to get back defensively, but I'm also not going to crash the glass. And uh, on, on the offensive end and on the defensive end, hey, I'm not going to get out or or on the offense or on the defensive end too often. It's I'm going to get out and transition quickly and not help secure the rebound, which, of course, is the most important part of the only way you can end a defensive possession without a made shot or a turnover. Right. Is you have to end the possession by getting a rebound too often. The likes of Anthony Edwards and D'Lo and they'll they'll leak out instead of actually securing a rebound or I guess less D'Lo, more Anthony Edwards. Um, a Kogi occasionally falls into that. Um, 
but the Wolves, for the most part, rebounded their positions extremely well in this game. And that was a big part of the win, was out rebounding the Jazz by two on the night. Okay, let's get into the offensive adjustments that the Wolves made. And oh, actually, one last note on the defense, by the way. Uh, there was a note on Bally Sports North on the broadcast. The last time the Wolves held an opponent under 100 points on the road was in October of 2019. So the start of last year. When the Wolves had a decent start to the season, remember they were like 11 and 9 and, and everybody felt good about the Gerson Rosas, Ryan Saunders tenure. Um, they held Charlotte under 100. That was, uh, what, 18 months ago? Almost exactly. Just over 18 months ago was the last time they held an opponent under 100 points on the road. And they just held one of the league's best offenses, fourth in offensive rating, first in three-pointers made per game, under 100 points on the road. Yes, without Donovan Mitchell, but still. It counts. It was a great defensive performance, and uh, it's important that we highlight that. Okay, offensively, the adjustments the Wolves made. I mentioned this in the first segment, but Minnesota didn't score from the 7.06 mark to the 2.31 mark in the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. That's over four and a half minutes of not scoring against a really good team, and yet somehow the Timberwolves made the adjustments uh, beyond that, you know, at the 2.30 mark, to end up scoring enough to win this game. So what did they do? First of all, the lineup that the Wolves had on the court was uh, they had both Ricky Rubio and Jared Vanderbilt on the court, which is, it's tough to do that. It's great for rebounding. It's great for defensive intensity. It's great for uh, switchability, but Vanderbilt doesn't shoot threes. Rubio is a below average three-point shooter this season, and the Jazz were more than happy to double towns and leave one or both of those guys open, and it was working. Um, Towns was getting frustrated. He had committed some silly fouls. He had, uh, I think this was right before this, this, uh, he threw the ball out of bounds. Then he committed an offensive foul, which just made no sense. It was just kind of almost unraveling. So Finch's adjustment was to take Vanderbilt and Rubio out of the game, put in D'Angelo Russell and Josh Akogi. Now, of course, Akogi's equally as bad of a three-point shooter as Ricky Rubio, if not, I mean, I guess technically he's worse, but the idea being that Akogi could bring a little bit more defensive intensity and switchability and cover what both those guys do defensively. And D'Lo, of course, is going to add that extra level of, of dynamic offense. So instead of Edwards running the offense through Towns, this was now going to be D'Angelo Russell initiating offense and keeping Towns obviously involved, um, but also kind of trying to avoid, in a sense, Rudy Gobert. So the Wolves decide to come down and they make Joshua Kogi the screener on, on, I think, three consecutive possessions, maybe four, where... Akogi's setting the ball screen and the Jazz were kind of trying to hide Gobert on Akogi so he could basically play free safety. What they were doing is knowing that they could leave Akogi in the corner. This was their counter, right? We've seen teams do this, leave Akogi wide open on the perimeter. And this was more in the Ryan Saunders era. The Wolves couldn't figure out how to counter this. This was the absolute perfect adjustment. So the Jazz put Gobert on Akogi, who's standing in the corner, thinking that then Gobert could sag into the paint, contest a jumper from uh, a, a floater from D'Lo, or uh, you know, if they put Cat in ball screen action, he could be the help defender on Cat. He could switch onto Cat. You know, basically he could do whatever he wants and not worry about Akogi in the corner. And so what do the Wolves do? The Wolves say, well, we're going to put Akogi as the ball screener because then the rest of the guys on the perimeter with the ball in D'Lo's hands are all plus shooters, right? Carl Anthony Towns, Jade McDaniels, and Anthony Edwards. Catch and shoot, Edwards is, is very average. He's a capable three-point shooter. So now you put your your only bad shooter, bad perimeter shooter on the, on the floor in Akogi in ball screen action as the roller. And he's a solid enough screener that, that this will work, right? And you're trying to put Gobert in ball screen action. He's not guarding Towns. And so you're making the Jazz make a decision. And this worked 
on two of the possessions, the two most important possessions. The Wolves ultimately got the ball to Towns on one possession, and he made a tough right-handed runner in the paint, um, but but they got him the ball in an advantageous spot. The Jazz weren't able to double him, and again, with more shooting on the floor, that was that that worked. The So now the Wolves are up one. Um, after... Towns, made a turn, Towns committed a turnover. The Jazz had a couple of empty possessions themselves. The Wolves came down, did the same thing. They put a Kogi and ball screen action. This time the Jazz switch and Gobert basically shoves Boyan Bogdanovich out to the perimeter to try and, and guard the switch. So now you've got Bogdanovich on Russell, which in the Jazz mind is still better than Gobert in space on Russell, um, which by the way, uh, side note, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to completely knock Rudy Gobert. He's fantastic. Like Bam Adebayo doesn't do that, right? Adebayo would guard D'Angelo Russell and probably do a really good job. But Gobert shoves Bogdanovich out on the perimeter on D'Lo. D'Lo crosses him over, just completely loses him and knocks down a 16-footer to put the Wolves up three. And the Jazz never got closer than three over the final minute plus of the game. And there are two things there. Number one, the Jazz trying to hide Gobert in the corner and allow him to come in and play help defense is, I think, smart. It's it's interesting, and I, I you know I don't know if that's something they do with frequency, and and certainly if the Wolves had five shooters on the floor, I don't think they would have tried to do that. But then Finch's counter with, hey, look, I'm going to leave a Kogi in the game because I need somebody with his defensive intensity, his rebounding capability, the different things he can do. Finch refused to take him off the floor, and so his counter, his response is to just make him the screener and put all of your shooters, dot them around the perimeter, put the ball in D'Lo's hands and and know that you're going to get a good shot. And Akogi's only going to get the ball basically cutting or rolling to the rim or not at all. And he's not going to be standing in the corner, getting the ball swung to him at the end of the shot clock. And sure enough, it worked out to a T. It was fantastic coaching. It was expert level, um, masterclass, offensive scheming and strategy by Chris Finch and, and, uh, Pablo Prigioni, the Wolves offensive coordinator, just, just really good stuff. Um, and it was enough to get the Wolves to win. They scored, they had a couple of those sloppy turnovers. Towns had a turnover. Actually, D'Lo had one too. And the Jazz had their opportunities, but then the Wolves were active enough defensively and Edwards got that huge steal, uh, just under 30 seconds to play. Um, and the Wolves, the Wolves forced the Jazz into some tough shots and some tough turnovers as well. So, uh, strong down the stretch on both ends of the floor, but the offensive kind of the, really a chess match that took place between Quinn Snyder and Chris Finch was a ton of fun to watch. And Finch deserves a ton of uh, credit for, for making those adjustments. Okay. Let's close by doing individual studs and duds as we always do. So that's what we're going to do next here. Who played well, who didn't on an individual basis for the Timberwolves. First though, bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NBA, MLB, and the NHL are all in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code LOCKEDON. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today through the 26th, that's Monday, listen to the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey featuring analysis from NFL experts Michael Irvin, Jason LaCanfora, and Brian Baldinger. Our local experts for every team making trades and picking the next stars of their team. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the all-new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your audio home for all the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. 
Okay, individual studs and duds. Then we'll put a bow on this thing and look ahead to the week. Um, number one for me in terms of studs and duds has to be Anthony Edwards. He was fantastic in this game. And I, if you listen to this podcast regularly, yes, I believe that he should be the rookie of the year. Um, and, and this is another conversation and I'll at some point do like a whole pitch for why I think he should win it. So spoiler, I do think he should win it. Um, however, I've been very critical of him when it when the situation has called for it, right? So in a vacuum, he hasn't been a plus player overall this season, but over the past few weeks, he has been. He's been really good, notwithstanding his status as a 19-year-old rookie. 23 points on 9 of 19 shooting, 4 of 10 on threes. He had 9 rebounds, 5 steals, and 4 assists in this game, only committed 2 turnovers. He only got to the free throw line 3 times, was 1 of 3 at the line, but... Um, I guess that's the only thing you could really say. His defense was bad in the first quarter, but so was basically everyone on the floor for the Timberwolves defensively. Uh, five steals, including a couple of really big ones in the fourth quarter, and just really solid decision-making. I mean, he was handling the ball, initiating offense a little bit while the Wolves were struggling in the fourth with D'Lo off the, off the floor. It was, it was Edwards and Rubio, and, and the Wolves' offense wasn't clicking. But... But for the most part, with the ball in his hands, Edwards made the right decisions in this game. He knocked down open jumpers when he had the opportunity. There were only a couple of his kind of pull-up jumpers in transition that didn't really make a ton of sense. You know, the D'Lo type 20 or 19, 18 seconds on the shot clock pull-up jumper from three. D'Lo can do that because he shoots 40%. Anthony Edwards doesn't. And so those are the things that drag his shooting percentage down a little bit. Now, when it's all said and done, the Wolves will take four out of 10 on threes from him every single night of the week. If he can shoot 40% from three, we're talking about one of the league's best offensive talents uh, you know, by next season, certainly. So 23-9, five steals, four assists, only two turnovers, nine of 19 from the floor. Great night from Anthony Edwards. If this is the type of ant we get on a nightly basis, and I know I've said this before because he's had great games this season. This is one of his better ones, though. But if he can have games like this and you add in Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and eventually Malik Beasley, then this Wolves offense will be what we thought it could be at the start of the season. It will be genuinely unstoppable if they can add a cutter, a slasher, an isolation threat, uh, an athletic, physical player like Anthony Edwards to the well-rounded game of Towns, the playmaking and quick trigger three-point shooting of D'Angelo Russell, and the the really dynamic shooting and transition play of Malik Beasley it's going to be hard to, to find something that this offense won't be able to do because they'll be able to get to the line, make threes, score from the mid-range. It'll, it'll be just completely dynamic. We're starting to see that a little bit, Sands Malik Beasley here of late. Um, and uh, just Anthony Edwards was a massive part of that in this game. Also have to give a stud to Carl Anthony Towns, 24 and 12 in this game. And the Rudy Gobert matchup's never an easy one. Um, they, they guarded each other at times, not the entire game. Um, as I mentioned down the stretch, the, the Jazz were kind of trying to allow Gobert to play free safety a bit and stick Bogdanovich on Towns and put him in ball screen action. And, and the Wolves found a way around that. Um, so Towns had 24 and 12, nine of 18 shooting, two of seven on threes, four of six at the line. He had three assists, four turnovers. He only had one block, uh, but he was good. I mean, this was a good game for Towns. He was quiet in the first quarter, but beyond that was, you know, did enough to, to have a massive impact on this game. Um, the third stud for me, it's going to have to be D'Angelo Russell because of his play at the end of the game, 23 points. He had 17 at halftime. So he had another quiet second half, but he hit the biggest shot of the game that stretched the Wolves lead from one to three with just over a minute to play. Eight of 18 shooting, three of 10 at the line, or excuse me, three of 10 on threes, four or five at the line, three rebounds, two steals, only one assist in 31 minutes for D'Lo. Um, but he was a plus nine in his 31 minutes. And actually plus nine was the second best plus minus mark on the Wolves, um, which leads me to, 
an exception that I'm going to make today because I, I mean, come on, the Wolves beat the Jazz. This was a fun win. We we could have a fourth stud, even though we usually only do three, and that's Josh Okogie. He had actually had the Wolves' best plus minus with a plus twelve. He had eight points, two rebounds, two assists, and two steals in 32 minutes. Was three of six shooting, three of three on two point attempts, and zero of three outside the arc. He had a couple of nice drives in the half court. He had a I think he like pump faked a corner three, drove and made a reverse layup, which isn't something that we see Josh do much of, but he was actually effective offensively in a really limited role. He was smart offensively. He didn't try and do too much and he was a terror on defense. He had a block, he had two steals and he only committed three fouls despite a really tough assignment throughout the game. He was basically just kind of out there on the perimeter, him and Jade McDaniels. McDaniels also had a great game defensively and was just kind of the hard-nosed, tough defender, deflecting passes, jumping passing lanes, the stuff that really can disrupt the Jazz. Um, and and he was he did that throughout the night and, and didn't hurt the Wolves on offense. So Josh Kogi deserves some recognition for that. And then also Jaden McDaniels, as I mentioned, very similar role uh, in this game. Jaden pulled down five rebounds in 33 minutes as well, which was great to see. Uh, so just a strong performance from those guys. It's actually kind of tough to pick out duds in this game. The Wolves uh, didn't have anybody that was worse than a minus five in the plus minus column in a game they won by five. They only had three players with negative marks in that column. So if I'm going to pick one, it's going to be Ricky Rubio. He struggled against his former team. He ended up only playing 20 minutes and was unplayable in the fourth because he was really struggling on offense. And so the Wolves took him off the floor when they were struggling to score. Um, he finished with only two points and two assists in 20 minutes, one of five shooting, missed both of his three-point attempts, only had one rebound, one steal in this game. And also committed four fouls in 20 minutes. There were a couple, he had a couple of like take fouls basically where the Jazz were getting out in transition and he just grabbed somebody to, to commit the foul. But um, he was too often part of that issue, right? He was part of the breakdown on offense that led to the Jazz getting out in transition. Defensively, he was actually okay um, and was, was certainly part of the Wolves' better defense in the second and third quarters of this game. But he was just a clear net negative on offense for the Timberwolves and... Uh, or I should say just a clear negative on offense for the Timberwolves and, and kind of dragged down that unit a little bit. So the D-low minutes were much better. Interestingly, Jordan McLaughlin only played five minutes. He didn't see the court in the first half, but he did see some minutes uh, late third, early fourth in the second half and was good. He had two points, two steals, two rebounds in five minutes um, for J-Mac. So solid minutes from him. And, and really nobody else had a bad game. Jared Vanderbilt had 5.7 rebounds in 13 minutes. And again, had to come off the floor when the Wolves needed to score down the stretch. But he was a big part of the Wolves, you know, hanging in there, taking an initial lead, a double digit lead in the second half and securing rebounds. Again, against the league's, one of the league's best rebounding teams, he was third on the team in rebounding in only 13 minutes and provided that much needed jolt and energy that he typically does. Um, Wancho missed four threes again. He's been ice cold from, from beyond the arc of late, which is an issue, right? I mean, if he's not making threes, what's he doing? He at least rebounded a little bit in this game and was okay defensively. But Wancho, uh, yeah, I, you know, you could, you could call him a dud for this game because he missed at least four of those threes were just completely wide open off of solid offensive action from the Wolves and shots that he needs to knock down if, he, if he's going to be on the floor. That's that's it for this one. I mean, the Wolves, this was a solid win. It was their best win. You know, you could talk about the Heat win that they won fairly, they had fairly easily a little over a week ago. Um, I mean, the, the first Jazz win, obviously, the, you could argue this is probably the best win of the Finch era. Um, you know, it would be this one and the Heat one would be the ones you could you could consider. But this was just kind of a, a you know, take out the first quarter. Second through fourth quarter was just fantastic basketball by the Wolves, plus 19 over those three quarters against the Jazz to, to get the five-point win. 
Um, just really solid stuff from Minnesota. And um, a fun game, too. We know Deon- Donovan Mitchell won't play on Monday when these teams match up at Target Center, though Jazz have already said he's out for about another week. Um, so Minnesota will get another crack at Utah. Now, beating them three times would just be unbelievable. Um, and of course, Utah is going to be ready to play come Monday in Minneapolis. But um, the Wolves finally get to go back home after this this road trip with the multiple off days on the road. And if they can beat the Jazz on Monday, I mean, it's going to be hard to ignore the positive vibes around this team at that point. Remember, just a couple of weeks ago, the Wolves were in the midst of trading, or I should say alternating, a win and two losses. Going back to late March, um, you could go back to, let's see, well, I guess, okay, so they beat Phoenix. It was a win, three losses, win, two losses, win, two losses, win, two losses, win, two losses, all the way until last week. So basically a full month of winning one and losing two. Now, over the past 10 days, they've alternated wins and losses. They're three and two in their last five games. They beat Miami, Sacramento, and Utah, lost to the Clippers in Sacramento. That Clippers loss was the only one that was a blowout. Um, The Sacramento game, of course, was close. It was a three-point loss. So the Wolves have been genuinely decent over the past 10 days and competitive, really, since the All-Star break. Um, Going all the way back to the All-Star break, uh, outside of that tough road trip, you know, out west with Phoenix and Los Angeles right after the break. The Wolves have been entirely competitive and are looking much, much better. And they now have a winning record with Towns and D'Lo. Again, they're seven and six total when Towns and D'Lo both play. So they get Utah Monday and then they're at Houston on Tuesday. So yeah, it's the Rockets, the league's worst team that continues to just drop games basically every night. And uh, that it'll be great to get to face the Rockets, but it's the second night of a back-to-back and, the, and it, you know, they go home for Utah, road for Houston, so that's not ideal. But then you get Golden State and New Orleans, so those are winnable games. I mean, if the Wolves could somehow beat Utah on Monday, and this feels crazy because we've seen this, we've seen this movie before, but Houston, Golden State, New Orleans, Memphis are all winnable games for Minnesota, and three of them are at home. So we could be looking at a situation where the Wolves could realistically win, what, four out of six, three out of five? Um, and that's not crazy to say right? I mean, Golden State, Houston, New Orleans, Memphis, all winnable games. And then one final road trip, three games out east, Miami, Orlando, Detroit, a couple of winnable games there as well. And then home for Denver, Boston, Dallas, which is a really tough close to the season against teams that are probably going to be fighting for playoff positioning. Dallas, you know, last game of the season, they might be trying to stay out of the play-in, um, the play-in rounds, I guess, at that point as well. So uh, really interesting final couple of weeks the Wolves have a legit shot to gain some momentum going into the offseason. Um, so we'll talk about that. We'll also, of course, keep an eye on the uh, the tank rankings, if you will. Um, of course, the Wolves aren't tanking, actually. But, and you know, the race to the bottom. Could the Wolves end up in the bottom three, have a 40% chance of keeping their pick? Or will they win too many games and get out of the bottom three, which is still on the table? Um, so that's something we'll kind of keep an eye on here over the past, over the final three weeks of the season. All right, that's all we have for you today here on the show. We'll be back, of course, on Monday. Daily shows this week, Monday through Friday. The Wolves play the Jazz on Monday night, so we'll have a post-game pod following the Jazz game, but we will have a show Monday morning. Um, well, actually, I will break down those standings right now, where the Wolves stand in relation to Houston, Detroit, some of the other teams near the bottom of the league. At this point, what does you know? What do those schedules look like remaining? Can the Wolves stay in the bottom three and possibly you know have a 40% chance of keeping their first round pick this year or is are the Wolves going to win too many games so we'll look at that on Monday 
um, as well as a couple other things related to Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and and uh, some some of the lineups the Wolves have been able to trot out there that have worked of late. Um, before we get into Wolves Jazz on Monday, Houston, Minnesota on Tuesday, and the rest of the week as well. So um, if you're not already following, be sure to follow the show anywhere that you like to listen to podcasts. Of course, that includes Apple, as well as uh, Spotify, Google, and of course, Odyssey. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. You can also follow on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves and at B-Beacon. That's B-Beacon, two Bs, two Es, C-K-E-N. That's all we have for you today. Thanks again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast. Of course, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Today's show was brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.